These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. At Conduit Church, I mean, we're obviously, we're clearly pretty simple. You've seen the trailer, right? Um, we're not fancy, and, and, uh, and we kind of like it that way. And we like it that way because we kind of feel like that in, in Acts 2.42, when, when the early church first launched, it, it says that they did these four things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then down in verse 48, it says that the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. In the simplicity of this is what I believe was church for then and what can be, I would argue, church for today. These four things. If you've been around, you've heard me say that conduit is, is really we've kind of served as a vehicle for the gospel to get to the nations and to... Uh, so we're kind of like a car, if you follow that metaphor, where the gospel can get places. And so, you know, today we've got Ben Holton in Haiti, Caleb Thomas in Haiti, and David Whetstone, who I heard from last night in Africa with his team. They just had a pastor's conference. Uh, over 100 pastors from four countries in Africa showed up. That was all paid for by us, by Conduit. And that's the vehicle that we are here. And so the four tires, if you will, on the vehicle, the four uh, tires that we're on that drive our vehicle are these four things. It's prayer, it's teaching, it's fellowship, it's communion. And so at, at this early stage in the church, man, it's a great time for us to, to really talk about those things so we can get our mind wrapped around them. Last week we talked about fellowship, about what it looked like. And if you weren't here, send your love gift to our ministry and what, no, I'm just kidding. It's actually free. You can go to conduitchurch.com and, and download it. Um, we talked about that last week. This week, man, it's, I, I want to go back and talk about teaching, about doctrine. If you've got a King James Bible, you probably see the word doctrine in there. And when you see the word doctrine in King James, think teaching. Think the word. And they devoted themselves diligently, it says, to teaching. One of the four tires on the conduit car is teaching. And if you've been around me for any length of time, you know that that's kind of what we do. We just grab a shovel and we dig and search the scriptures for what truths that he has in our lives. And I am happy to report that when you do that, when you go through the word, the word goes through you, and man, it cleans you out. It changes you. And I can speak firsthand from that of what it's done for me. As I've dove into the scriptures over the years, it just, it's changed me. It's changed me because 2 Timothy 3, 16, and you know this, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know this, you're thinking, Darren, this is really elementary. I hope you brought more than this. Until we get it, right, it's not elementary. It says that God's, it says all scripture, verse 16, is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, Paul was telling Timothy, and he talks a lot about that in this book, that this book right here, which by the way, newsflash, one of the dangers for us is to look at this and think of it as a book. First of all, know this, it's not just a book. Biblios means library, okay? It's a collection of books, 66 books altogether, written by 40 different guys, three different languages, 
three different continents in well over a thousand years' time, all in this collection of God-breathed, God-inspired word. I don't know why we'd want to use anything else. I mean, I appreciate PowerPoint presentations, but this is pretty good. If God wrote this himself, man, it's, it's good enough, right? It's good enough for us. And we believe, if you've been around us at all, you know this, and if not, write this down. We believe that this is God-breathed, and we believe that it is inerrant, those two things. This is God's word to us. And the danger would be to think that it's just a book. That it's, and maybe you've actually said this, you've certainly probably saw a bumper sticker for it, but this is God's instruction book for life. It's God's manual, right? It's, a, it's like the help screen on the computer. Don't say that. Don't do that, because it's not what it is. When, you, when your DVD player's broken, well, first of all, you call your teenage kid, but then if, they, if they're not around, you go to the manual, you go to the book. This is way deeper than that. This is God's word for us, for you, for me. Hebrews says that it's living, that it's active, that it's alive. It's powerful. And if you haven't had a good, I mean, how many of you, I don't know if I should have you raise your hands. How many of you have started a one-year Bible reading program in your lifetime? How many have finished on time the one-year Bible reading program? Much, much smaller, isn't it? And what happens in those situations, and I'm, I'm not knocking them at all, I'm just saying that when you approach this like it's some sort of an academic exercise, you get kind of an academic response. And obviously, these two jokers was a kind of an extreme version of that. But you can read this book, and if you treat it just like a book, you can do what the Pharisees did and miss it all together. That this is really God's word to us. It goes deeper than that. Jesus, it says, John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you're looking for good theology, look for Jesus in the scriptures. And think, I wonder if Jesus would get big signs and a bullhorn and go down and protest. Probably not. That's, I can't see that in there. And I know, again, that's an extreme thing. And it was kind of funny and entertaining, but, but those guys... They, if you were to really challenge them, I'll bet they know the Bible better than most of us in here. They could certainly recite it from memory and have missed the point that Jesus is alive and active in these scriptures. Now hear me say this, and, and don't misquote me. Please don't go out and say that Darren said don't study the Bible. Please don't say that because you, you might be able to walk away and say that. So if you've been sleeping, wake up and, and go back to sleep in just a second. But just for this moment, wake up. When you look in the scriptures and look for the word study, you're going to find it only two or three times in, re- in regards to the Bible. One of them is in 2 Timothy. It says, you maybe know this, study to show thyself approved, to you know, rightly divide the word of truth. And then you see it in John, where Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees and saying, you've studied this thing and you've missed the point. The word that Paul used for study. In fact, if you've got an NIV Bible, it actually doesn't use the word study. It says, be diligent and show yourself approved. Because that's what it really 
is saying. It isn't saying study this like you've went to, to seminary. It's saying be diligent in the word. And when you do that, you'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And so I know this is a semantics thing, and you might be thinking, you'll actually maybe hear me use the word study. We go to Bible studies. I'm not saying that Bible study is wrong. I'm just saying that studying it just to read it on the surface is, is not going deep enough. It's just a shallow version of what God has really got for us. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is a chapter about the Bible. And in all of those verses, over 100 verses, it's talking about thy word, his word, and what it does to us. And he says to keep his word. It says to know his word. That if I know your word so that I won't sin, keep it like you would a family treasure, an heirloom, to search it. And again, this might feel like semantics, but I'm telling you it's not. This part isn't because you, when you encounter this book, and just try it. Look, if, if your Bible reading is a little dry these days, Think about the fact that if this is really a supernatural communication from God, then maybe it requires a supernatural approach from us. That if I'm just trying to get through my reading program, it's, it's February and it's Leviticus. Everybody hates February on the, you know, the one-year Bible. When I get down to June, when I get into the, you know, the wars and stuff and kings. And, oh, you know, Today is the, uh, it, it, we're just reading about people and their names and it's just a long list of names and it gets boring and trite and it's just a trap of the enemy not that the one your bible again don't go out here thinking i've said the one your bible is a sin i'm just saying it becomes a trap of the enemy because you begin to think that this is boring you begin to think that this is dry and it's not really doing anything for me my challenge to you is to never approach this as i got to do this is just as much a part of your prayer life a part of your worship life as it should be a part of your reading life. When you are encountering God in the scriptures and not just reading them as an academic study, man, it becomes alive and it becomes powerful and it changes you. A few years ago, the church that I was a part of, they wanted to start this uh, Bible study. And we, you know, in the early days, we weren't very good at this because I noticed that a lot of the Bible studies around the nation didn't actually study the Bible. And so, and I didn't either for the first few months. You know, we, I would just assume that if you were in your 20s, you wanted to hear about the three Ds of dating and, you know, all those catchy PowerPoint sermon things. And I was bad at those anyway. And we faltered around for a few months. And in fact, the way it actually started was, okay, we're going to do this. And I was really busy at the time. And I remember telling the pastor, if all you want me to do is to show up and, and speak on Tuesday nights, I can do that. But, man, I'm just really busy. I, I can't possibly commit to leading this thing. And so we had this uh, leadership team in place. And so we were going to go launch this thing. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday because the first night we had like 13 people there and most of them on the stage. And it was like everybody go jump in the pool at once. And I turned around and I was the only one that jumped because within two weeks... Within a month, for sure, it was just, just I was, it was mine all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, man, I totally. And it wasn't the pastor's fault. It was just the way it went. And I remember trying to just struggle every week, trying to figure out what we were going to do. You know, and it would be like dumb things, like the three Ds of dating and trying to come up with catchy sermon titles. And, and then one week I'd had, <laughs> one week had been one of those weeks. And I literally, up until 7.30, was at my office 
beating the phones. And I wandered into there, and I had nothing to talk about. And so I just opened the Bible to where I happened to be in my, my own, you know, scripture walk that week, which was Acts chapter 1. And we talked about Acts chapter 1 that night. And it worked. And everybody was like, wow, this is awesome. And all 13 people were, this is cool. So it might have been nine people that night. But as we dove into the scriptures and we went, next week, I'm like, well, let's go. This is easy. I'll do this next week. I'll do Acts chapter 2. And before we knew it, we were growing and people's lives were being transformed because we were just going through the word. And the word was going through us. Now, on a little sidebar, when I first got saved, I was like fifth grade. And I was like gonzo for Jesus. And I remember it, fifth grade. I mean, Austin, how old is Austin? Is he fifth grade? So I was Austin's age. And I would stay up late with my blanket over my head and my flashlight reading the Old Testament. Now, I didn't think that was weird at the time. Now I look back and think, man, that must have been really weird. But, and this is a whole other aside, but just to say that what God did through that little Bible study was he reawoke inside of me the calling that he had put on me since I was a child, and I didn't even know it. Because the truth is, is yeah, if I'd, have, if I'd have known what I was signing up for, I wouldn't have signed up for it. And if I'd have known what God was doing at the time, I might have decided to go a different route. But the truth is, is what he needed me to do was to go in there, open the door, slam me inside of it, and keep me there, lock me up for a few years so that I could rediscover the love that he had given me for his word as, even as a young child. That I, I, I still, in fact, I still remember the first biblical rhema word truth that I got when I was a kid. I was in, that was a very Christianese sentence, by the way. Sorry about that. Um, I was in the Old Testament, and I began to realize that each king, that, that he would give up uh, everything to the Lord except for the high places. And those were those things that were those little sinful secret things up in the mountains that nobody really had to see. And every time that that would happen, that the king would give up everything but keep the high places, that the next king that would come into uh, would be a wicked and an evil king. And I saw that pattern. I'm in fifth grade. I found the notebook. I'd written it down, but I'd always remember that. And thinking in fifth grade, that's what God had, had shown me just because I was searching the scriptures. And I sell that to say that that's kind of what we're going to do here from here on out. That's what we've done in Conduit before that is we're just going to search the scriptures and God's going to give us truths. And you know what? Sometimes it isn't going to be for me. Sometimes if, if you've got your notebook out and God starts speaking to you in the word, check out. I got no problem with that. Because God might have something for you from a scripture. We may not even be in that scripture. You might be flipping through during worship and see something. And man, it's perfectly okay because this is God's word. It's living. It's active. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides in our soul and our spirit. And here's why it's important to me. Here's why I hope it's important to you. We're living in a day and in an age where people are rewriting the Bible to fit their personal agendas, their personal comfort zones, their personal choices. And it's happening all around us. It's happening in publications. It's happening in podcasts. It's happening on Larry King Live. And what happens is, is we get into this mode where this is something that I battle with and I struggle with, but it's, it's who I am. And so instead of 
going to the word with it, and that's really the tragedy of it, is we're going to, well, then I must be okay, and I need to be okay with myself with this. And we get to this point where we rewrite the scriptures. We don't know the scriptures. We don't, in fact, Jesus, in, further down in Mark, well, go with me, actually. Why don't you go with me there? Mark 12. We get time. Mark 12, this is embedded in the text. Verse 18. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, they said. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same for the third. Now, at some point, you're thinking, the husband should be catching on to this, right? We've seen this on the news. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. And at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, are you not in error? In King James, says, you're deceived because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus said to the Pharisees what we could take a lesson from ourselves, that there are people all around us that are badly mistaken, that are greatly deceived because they don't know the scriptures. And some of it, quite honestly, is our fault. Because we have dumbed it down so much for our kids so that they could have fun. And don't get me wrong. I mean, at some point, you might even hear them screaming. We want our kids to have fun. And they will have a blast. They're going to come out of there literally lathered up in sweat and exhaustion. But ask your kids today. I challenge you, if you've got kids back there with Mr. Jim, what do they learn about? Because we are drilling the word into their heads. Our kids are not stupid. Our teenagers are not stupid. And one of the things that I learned in this Bible study was that instead of dumbing it down, what, what, those, what those young people wanted in their 20s was to us to come to their level. They had some really difficult questions. But because we've dumbed it down, we've got an entire generation who's greatly in error because they don't know the scriptures. They don't know the word. And I've got to say that for us, for Conduit Church, Man, we're not going to do a lot of things right, and I'm going to find plenty of ways to let you down. But I pray that this is not one of them. I pray that we get a shovel out every week, and we dig and search the scriptures here. And I pray that it becomes a part of, if it's not already a part of your own lives, that you don't act deceived because you don't know the scriptures. And it's important because, you know, in some of those things that we see in our own society right now, there's certain even, there's lifestyle Choices. There are sins that we deal with personally, whether it's sexual in nature, whether it's an anger management issue. And we might say that authentically I need to know who I am, and so I want to be who I am. God surely wouldn't have made me this way and then want me to walk away from it. And what happens is that between your soul and your spirit, the humanity side of you, your soul of who you are, might have a struggle. And so the temptation would be just to say, well, God wouldn't have made me this way and not want me to live this way. But look what, look what Hebrews 4, 12 says. It says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, 
it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. So those battles in your soul and your spirit where I don't know what really is sin and what isn't, and it gets kind of blurry sometimes for some people. And the word of God is what goes through and cuts clearly through that and cuts a clear line between it. So I might say I got an anger issue, and I, but that's just who I am. I'm a hothead. You know, I'm a, I'm a jerk. You know, if you bear around guys, that usually it's they're clear. I'm just honest. That's just how I am. Usually it's because they're mean, right? And, it's, and so you justify your behavior that way. This is how I am. And I can go to the word and see that it says that I shouldn't act like that. I might be a lustful man, and there's, there's all kinds of research that says, well, that's how men are created. So, you know, they're going to cheat. That's just how they are. And you know what? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to flee fornication, to, to, not, to, to, to not be an adulterer. And Jesus is very clear, so I can cut through that with the word. That's why it's important to know the word. And at the end of the day, go to 1 Samuel 15 with me. Here's why it's of utmost importance. It's why it's important that we not be deceived. We have to know what the scriptures say. And while you're going there, I'm going to read to you from James chapter 1. You don't have to go there. You can write it down and go later. James chapter 1 verse 21. It says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. It's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. When we hear the word, when we encounter the word, it's important for us to obey the word. We get... (laughs) We get kind of caught up in the Jesus is my BFF thing, right? And realize that we ended up with a kingdom full of, of BFFs and not of servants. That to, to the, we're not serving our king. And there are certain things that he is asking us to do that if we do them, we're blessed with them. And, and I've said this before. We often start with the don't do's, right? And, and, we, and we get all caught up in that and we're so busy with don't do this and don't do that that we end up never getting to the what we should be doing. You know, go, go and feed the orphan and the widow. Go and hang out and do the flood relief. Go to Haiti. Go to Africa. Go to your own school. Go to the children's ministry and serve. Those things that are so positive, we don't even get to that because we're so busy and caught up with the don'ts. But when we hear the word, it's important for us to obey. And here's why. First Samuel chapter 15. It's important for us to understand this. God is not some sort of cosmic buzzkill looking to cramp your style and you're fun. When he says don't do this or that, it isn't because he's trying to kill you or to have get rid of all your fun because that's just how he is. Look at this in 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So now listen to the message from the Lord. He says uh, in verse 3, Now go, attack the Amalekites, Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, and children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. And so Saul, verse 4, summoned the men and mustered them at Talim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. 
Go with me to verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. They were totally, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Saul had been given a very clear communique from God. The word of the Lord had come to Saul. The word, we have the word of God. The word of God had come to Saul and told him a very specific mission in verse 10. He says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And in verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. But FYI, just because you speak Christianese, don't make you right. Just because you know the language, right? And, And if you've been around the church at all, especially if you've been on the outside of the church, you know, and coming into it, you think, well, man, that you see the hypocrisy sometimes. And, and that's usually where it starts is our Christianese thing. Just understand that just because you know it doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. He says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Liar. In verse 14, Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And how many times have I gone to the Lord with I'm in. I'm totally cool, man. I went to Haiti. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Maybe the Lord would say to me or to you, well, yeah, but what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears? This thing that you're hanging on to, those little high places that you've tucked away, that you've held on to. You think, well, I've done all this great. I've done most of what God has called me to do. I've done most of what the Lord is saying to do in the scriptures. What is this bleeding of sheep it's like you've got goat boy locked up in a closet. <laughs> Hidden away like God doesn't know. you got goat boy in the closet. And if your parents, I'm sorry, Google it. Saul answered. Actually, verse 14. But Samuel said, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered. You've got to love Saul because I, I totally relate to this. Blame someone else. Well, it's the soldiers. From the Amalekites, they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. This is hard because the temptation for me or you is to say, man, I've had a really hard life. Man, my parents' divorce, or my own divorce. This thing is going on in my family. And at some point you have to lean forward and say, and I'm really sorry because, you know, a lot of us have had really difficult lives, but at a moment you have to stop blaming that and blaming others and taking ownership for our own thing. Because God's looking to have mercy on us. He's looking to have mercy on Saul. But Saul won't shut up. He says in verse 16, this is actually Saul, Samuel. It says, stop, but that's King James for shut up. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied in verse 17. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And Saul, man, another opportunity to repent, blown right here. And 
newsflash, I don't care how many times you've blown it, just repent. God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's looking to love and to forgive. But here's what Saul says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Men, if this is not underlined in your Bible, it ought to be. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected, listen to this, the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul was given a very specific command of the Lord. Just like you and I have been, as we encounter the word, And all of us have this tendency to hold back, to make excuses for, to justify, to ignore completely, in my case, God's word in our lives. This word, his word as he speaks to you in your spirit. And especially if you're a young man, hear me say this. I I need you to hear me say this. God is not looking to cramp your style. There's a reason why he says to flee fornication. And in, in, in this society in our young age, our tendency is to, to say, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to start justifying it, or I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to move the lines a little bit. Well, this isn't going, quote, all the way, so this doesn't count. And we begin to put sheep in the closet, so to speak, holding the stuff back from the Lord. But here, go with me to first, or Second Samuel chapter 1. It's just a couple pages over, and we're getting ready to land this thing, so get your tray tables up, seat backs up. God wasn't looking to cramp Saul's style to make sure that he wasn't going to have any fun. Because basically when Saul's saying, well, I kept this for myself, he's basically saying, I just don't trust that God has my best interests in mind. I don't trust that God is really going to take care of me, so I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And in chapter 2, or chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, Saul is at the end of his life, and there is a, keeping in mind, he was told, go kill all of the Amalekites, and there's a man with a sword over Saul's head, getting ready to kill him, and Saul says, who are you? Verse 8, chapter 1, who are you? And the answer, I am an Amalekite. That thing that Saul was holding on to, that he didn't want to obey the Lord on, killed him. He clearly didn't obey the word of the Lord. He's lying through his teeth to God. And God wasn't trying to cramp his style to not be fun. He just knew what was coming down the pipeline for Saul, and it was the Amalekites. I had a conversation with a young man this week who's in a relationship for a period of time, and it was a intimate relationship and he was asking me it's been like six months he's man am I ever going to get over her he's like it's just killing me it's eating me up inside I can't it just at the weirdest time she comes up in my mind in my heart and it was a reminder for him a guy that knew the word of the Lord knew not to cross this line that for those 
couple of months of pleasure that he had. It's just nothing but heartbreak now. God isn't trying to cramp his style. It's just that he knew that the wages of sin is death. That, that, that thing that God is, it, it's not that God is looking to judge you, it's the sin itself. Jeremiah 1 says that it was their own backsliding that hunted them down. And so here's this young man that had planted, it, it talks about in Galatians of sowing seeds after the flesh. He had sowed a giant field of seeds after the flesh and now he's praying for crop failure. And it's an immutable law of the universe that if you're sowing those seeds after the flesh, you're going to reap a harvest after the flesh. And this guy can't even sleep at night. And the truth is, is because of that, if he would have obeyed the word of the Lord to say, look, to flee fornication, this wouldn't be a battle in his life right now. And I'm not saying that to come down on him because the fact is, hey, God's forgiven him. God still loves him. God's just saying, don't do that because I know what it'll do to you. And that's why it's important for us to know the word. It's important for us so that when we see those own sins in our life, that we can know and we can obey them, that it isn't some surprise to us. (laughs) And for that matter, we can even know how to respond to sin in our lives. Romans chapter 1 is a, is, a, is a chapter that's used by lots of people that carry signs and bullhorns and, and accuse and, and judge people for their sexual sins. And they beat him over the head with those verses. And notice in chapter 1, it's they did this and they went after their own and they did that. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, keeping in mind the chapters and the verses were not inspired. They were not in the original text of God-inspired words. So this thought continues from chapter 1, verse 32. It says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Something that we see all over right now. But then in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, you, therefore, it's no longer the they, it's a you, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. We don't get to have the convenience of, of just pointing at chapter 1 without going to chapter 2. And again, it's because we know the word that we can know how to respond in those situations. That when we see somebody blow it again. When you yourself blow it again. We know that the word of the Lord says if you come and repent, that he's merciful. He's slow to anger. Really slow. And we know that because we know the word. This is an important wheel on the conduit car. It's the word. It's teaching the word. It's rightly dividing the word. Paul said to Timothy, I think it's 2 Timothy 2, he says that in that day, that they will, after their own lusts, will then go and gather around teachers to themselves to tickle their ears. That was an important distinction because in that day, teachers gathered people to themselves. Not people gathering teachers to themselves. And that prophecy comes true in this day and age through podcasts and magazines and blogs 
where if you have a, a specific worldview that you want to justify, you can gather all these teachers around to yourself that make you feel better about it. And I would suggest to you, delete them all and go back to the word and what does it say? Because if it's inspired, if it's inerrant, if it's God's word to you and I, then at some point I have to say, if he said this was a sin, I have to respond in some way or another. I have to respond to that. If he says don't judge, pass judgment on them, I have to respond to that. If it says for me, which it does in James, don't desire to be a teacher of the word, because there's a higher responsibility for you, as much as that stinks, i got to respond to that. It's in the word. It's God's communication to me. It's God's communication to you. It's an important wheel on our car. Fellowship is an important wheel on our car. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer, another important wheel on the car. But this week, I encourage you, this morning I encourage you, even as our worship leaders are coming back up, open your Bible, encounter the Lord in the Scriptures. Don't be deceived because you don't know the Scriptures. When you know them, James says, man, you know and you obey, you're going to be blessed in your life. Because you're not going to be staying awake at 3 a.m. Should I text her? Should I not? That lady Annabellum song makes me so sad. It doesn't have to be a part of your life. Because you know the scriptures. Because you obeyed them. Because you followed after the Lord. And what we've seen in the scriptures for Conduit Church is a God that's active, that's alive that is passionate about caring for those in need, whether it's right in our own community or whether it's in the world around us. That's why you even just showing up here makes you a part of the vehicle that is sending brothers and sisters into the nations. Hundreds of kids are eating in Haiti this week because of our little nickel and dime operation. A hundred pastors in Togo, Africa because of our little nickel and dime operation here, because we have seen what the scriptures have said to do and we're obeying them. So my prayer is that you'll encounter the Lord, not just in our services, but in the word. Someone said once, and I don't remember who it was, that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't. Trash your Bibles, read them hard. Just get in there, dig deep, make it a part of your life. Joshua, he says to meditate on the word day and night. Not study it, meditate on it. By the way, the word meditate there is, it's gross. Chew the cud. If you've been around cows, not just steaks, but cows, you know that what they had for breakfast, they blurb it up and they chew on a little bit and they swallow it again. Then they do it again. Chew on this. When you encounter the word in the morning, man, throw it up a little bit in your mouth. And chew on it a little bit. Man, that thing that God said, you know, in Leviticus today, what he's talking about, the blood, that, that's good for me. You know what I mean? You, that, an all-day thing, not just an academic, memorize it, put the little post-it note, or postage, you know, the little uh, three-by-five card on your mirror. Get it into your spirit, not just in your head. So, do that as we worship. Do that as we go. Knowing that that word is alive, that it is powerful. Got any weird questions? Man, what should I do in this situation? Go first to the word. Don't gather around your teachers to see what they've got to say. See what God has to say.